This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Loving Lord, thanks for uh, the joy of this day. Uh, Thanks for uh, the beauty of our friendship together uh, with you and each other. Thanks for Kay being back with us today. Lord, as we uh, continue to journey through Philippians, uh, help us to um, have that humble heart that Paul speaks of so that in our interactions with each other, we just may reflect you in your name. Amen. Okay. Any questions or thoughts on chapter 1? Otherwise, we're jumping into chapter 2. You guys are good at math. It's amazing. All right. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll go through chapter 2. There's 30 verses. I've broken it into three segments. And we'll read through the three segments, and then we can kind of chat about it. Is that Okay. It's going to have to be, because that's the way we're doing it. Okay. Paul says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right. Who needs a... Who needs... Who needs... There we go. Okay, Ted? Just one. Just one. Okay. Sue, can't forget you back here. Cindy, we're going to let you have one. Michael? All right. Ooh, they're warm. All right. Anything jump out at you in chapter two? That this opening part. John. Isn't that a head scratcher? <laughs> so here's this Jesus who is true God as well as true man, and yet he didn't. Consider equality with God something to be grasped. So it sounds like he's true God, but he's not true God. Isn't that kind of what it sounds like? Here's the thing. The first Adam came into this world, and he considered equality with God something to be grasped. 
He's in the garden and Satan comes and Satan says, if you eat this fruit that supposedly is forbidden, you will be like God. So picture the man and the woman reaching for whatever this fruit looked like. Some claim apple, some say pomegranate. I have no idea. It doesn't matter what fruit is. Maybe it doesn't exist anymore. But they grasped it from the tree and they consumed it. Why? Because their belief was they could be like God. They considered equality with God something to be grasped. What they were supposed to do was understand that equality with God was not the important issue. The important issue was, though they were not equal to God, they lived under his love, his protection, his providence. So now we need someone to come in and, and do that, to live under God, his love, his protection, and his providence. So this is Jesus. This is, this is the true God who says, I'm going to take humanity and I'm going to live in such a way that I'm not going to come in and, and, and expect to be equal to the Father in this state of humility. Right? So those of us who, um, okay, here we go. Who grew up in the Lutheran church and had to study the small catechism? Raise your hand. Okay, be careful. I might call on you for memory work. <laughs> so the thing, oh, they closed my <laughs> So, <laughs> So what we learned when we were studying the second person of the Trinity is this Jesus has a state of humiliation and a state of exaltation. Remember that? The state of humiliation is all that Christ did for us on our behalf. And if we look at the Apostles' Creed, that he was conceived, born, suffered, died, buried. So these things he did, even though he's true God, even though he didn't have to do these things, he humbled himself. And the word humble is, is not the connotation of embarrassed. Humbled means I set this, I still have the power and authority of God. I've chosen not to use it. Remember the, if you really are the son of God. So, so in the wilderness, in the early chapters of, of Luke and Matthew, in the wilderness, the devil comes and says, boy, if you really are the son of God, Look at these stones. Do what? Turn them into bread. Could he have? Chose not to. Let's go all the way to the end of his ministry. If you really are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Could he have? Sure. He set that aside. It's, I tell the kids, um, Jesus set aside the could have and would have, but we wouldn't have been saved. So that's the state of humility. So this is the idea that, yeah, he could have, but he set it aside so that he could fulfill what the first Adam and every human after that couldn't fulfill. Yeah. Likewise, one part always kind of made me scratch my head was at Gethsemane when Christ was suffering in prayer. And so, yes, he had the power to not do this. 
but he was in agony yeah. because of this. So there was more than I could do it, but I, I set it aside. It's really something deeper. I it's knowing what I'm going to go through. Right. You know, the agony isn't even really the whip and the nails and the crown of thorns. The agony is the separation of the Heavenly Father, right? Which literally is hell. Jesus experienced hell on the cross. Yeah. Mary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So the idea is uh, could have, would have, but shouldn't have. And so uh, if I'm thinking about myself, says Jesus, I wouldn't have even come down here. But I set that aside so that I could save the human race, right? It's the Marine who dives on the grenade to save his, his platoon. Yeah. It was interesting, I had an eighth grader say, did Jesus commit suicide? It's an interesting question, though, is it not? We talked about what's the difference between suicide and sacrifice. And we talked about the Marine that throws himself or the fireman that races into the burning building, right? You know, that's, that's not, that sacrifice is different than suicide. Suicide is all about me getting out of this. Sacrifice is about me helping someone else. Or the sick leave who fails to take the medication and knows full well it's going to lead to demise. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I had a call once, oh, just putting on my golf spikes. <laughs> call came in. What's up? Oh, can you come talk to my dad? He's in the hospital. He's got a, a hole in his stomach, and if they stitch it up, he'll live. If not, he'll die within a day or two. Okay, I'll be right there. So I, I chatted with him. I said, you know, this is, this is the Lord's, I, I believe this is the Lord's will. But if this is how nature's done it, shouldn't I just be able to die and get it over with? I said, you're a young man. You're 71 years old. You can have this all taken care of, and you'd be fine. And, and and he said, well, you just give me one good reason why I should have this done. I said, because I'm going to lose my tea time. <laughs> and by golly, he had it done. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's sacrificing for the good of others. If, if they would have said this is terminal and this is going to be painful and this would be able to help you live for a week or two, whole different game, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Yeah, so difference between suicide and sacrifice. But it's a wonderful eighth grade question. I think it's a marvelous question. It's a deep question for an eighth grader, isn't it? It's like eighth grader. My biggest question in eighth grade was, I hope I get a bike. My old bike isn't working very well. So <clears throat> that was it. Other thoughts as we read through this opening part? Oh, that, there you go. That's a good question. How about some of these religions that say if you strap on explosives, right, and, and you take out a, a plane or a, a department store or a school, that, uh, you, that you have this automatic gift of paradise with 72 virgins? You know, I, I saw the greatest... I'm not online a lot, but I saw the greatest, what do they call memes or whatever like that? And, and it had the 72 virgins of paradise. And it was like 
72 old nuns with shotguns. I thought, that is, that is, so why don't I think of cool stuff like that? But really, um, that's not really sacrifice, is it? It's, it's suicide and murder. Sacrifice is always for the good, right? And I get it. They, they might uh, say, well, for the good was the cause of jihad or whatever they might say. But in all honesty, if you can go back and think of any of these suicide bombers and how that promoted their cause, let me know. Because I don't really see how it promoted the cause. The only thing it did was give them a false sense of eternity. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we do have um, twisted religion, right? Perverted religion, where you can take, um, you know, was it C.S. Lewis who said, sometimes theology is like a diamond. Um, when the light refracts through it, if you just turn it just a notch, the light is refracted differently. That's how, that's how twisting the scriptures can be, right? You can twist the scriptures and, and make them say something that it truly does not say. And I think, I think that's where some of these off religions are, this idea about sacrifice yourself for the cause. Uh, St. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 12 said uh, that you are a living sacrifice. So the sacrifices we make today are the manner in which we live our Christian lives for the betterment of, of the people around us and the glory of God. Yeah. John. did not uh, consider his position as God something to be invoked. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you heard what John said, but um, this, this being, very, being God in his very nature didn't, didn't consider evoking his abilities, his powers, something that should be done, right? He could have. This is the thing about Jesus. He had choice, and he chose us over himself in, the, in that cross episode. Yeah. So, you know what? Go, go to the words right before that now. You should have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Okay, we just talked about what Jesus' attitude was. Now I'm told I have to have that one. I don't know about you. Sacrifice is not easy. It's tough for me when I go home and I see my wife watching one of those Magnolia Network shows to say, oh, I can't wait to sit and watch this with you. I'll make popcorn. To me, that's sacrifice. And it has nothing to do with physical pain, just emotional. But imagine sacrificing your life and your relationship with the Heavenly Father so that people who hate you can be saved. Gives a whole new perspective on love your enemy, doesn't it? Yeah. What has crossed my mind? 
Wait, when I'm praying, am I praying to God the Father, or do I pray to Jesus? Is Jesus all wrapped up in the Trinity? Yeah, good question. So when we're praying, praying to God the Father, praying to Jesus, I know we're Lutheran, we don't often pray to the Holy Spirit, but we throw them in there every once in a while. And really, when we pray to one, we pray to all, right? Because it's three persons in one Godhead. Can you fathom that? I can't. There are just certain things I have to embrace by faith, right? Um, yeah, so if I'm praying in Jesus' name, right, I'm really praying. What I'm saying there is because Jesus opened the line of communication, I get to pray to the three of you, which is really the one of you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get to heaven to see this thing. I just, I, I, maybe I'm getting older, but it's like, yeah, I'd be okay to check this out. Sounds a lot better than what I'm hanging out with around here. Oh, I'd miss you people. <laughs> but I'd save a spot for you. <laughs> What's that? Oh, singing. I guess I gotta start practicing. Other thoughts? Jeannie. So a lot of this is like, you should, you should, and I would think because <laughs> Paul's writing it, it's his life purpose. I mean, you should have this attitude. You should look not only to, I mean, do we say, well, Paul, you weren't exactly, and Paul, you still aren't? Or yeah. They, I'll even go you one step farther. Later on, he says, whatever you've seen me do, that's what you should do. Well, Mr. Self-importance. But I think what he's saying is, we should, this is the deal, and, and we would agree with this, right? We should love one another. We should forgive one another. We should think of others more than we would think of ourselves. These are things we should do, and, and I think we realize that we don't always do them. So I think what Paul would say, boy, you get to Romans chapter 7. In Philippians, you think Paul's the most arrogant guy in the world. You go to the Romans chapter 7 and you think, oh, this guy needs to be treated for depression. You know, that's that area. All the good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. What a wretched man that I am. Oh, but wait a minute, but thanks be to God, right, through Jesus Christ. I think this is where he's coming. It's law and gospel. Law is, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. Gospel is, yeah, but when we don't, let's rally around the cross and encourage one another again. But he does come across kind of like, mm, who are you to talk? Who died and made you savior, right? And, and really what he's doing is saying, this, the church in Philippi is a pretty healthy church. It's like, when you read through all the epistles, it's like, this one is pretty healthy. And I, I think what he's saying is, um, the same thing my mom would say to me, I'm the oldest brother, I should know better. I expect a little more out of you. Oh, well, there's your mistake. <laughs> I think Paul's encouraging him to the next level, right? Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Okay, I threw a couple questions in here. We don't have to go through all of my questions because yours are far better than mine.
middle one there, what are four elements of unity for the church and our relationships? I, I kind of drummed up these in verse 2, be like-minded. What does it mean to be like-minded? We have the same foundational beliefs. Are we going to agree on everything? Those of you who are married, when you either had to choose paint or wallpaper, how like-minded were you? I always say, if you're going to ever go out and look for wallpaper or paint, bring a counselor and a lawyer. <laughs> the like-mindedness was, we need to paint, right? The problem is, what color are we going to get? Sometimes in the church and in Christian relationships, sometimes we allow the, the, sometimes we allow the sand to be more important than the granite. What I mean by that is there are certain things, if you carve something in granite, how long does it last? Long time. If you go to the beach and you write something in sand, how long does it last? <laughs> to the next wave. Or we can just rub over it, okay? There are certain things in life that are granite. Our faith in Jesus, our love for each other, right? There are certain things that are sand. The manner in which we, we express that love and that faith. So, well, let's do that for a, a church setting. The things that, that we set in granite are theology, right? So we have a certain theology about God's word, about the sacrament. The manner in which we administer might change. So, for instance, if we could move the clock back 100 years and we would go to church, there would be some changes. We'd be in the building down the road. And wir sprechen Sie Deutsch? Yeah, we'd be speaking in German. S same theology. A little bit different, right? Styles of worship might be different. Manner in which we do Bible study might be different. That's the sand. The, the granite is the theology behind it. So this like-mindedness is having the same theology. We might disagree on what color the carpeting in church should be, but we all probably would agree that we should proclaim Jesus Christ and Him alone as the Savior. Right? We should be able to check that box. Yeah. So this like-mindedness. I think um, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. I think the, the, the thing Paul is saying is when it comes to life, it ain't about you. It's not about you. You do not exist for everyone to serve you, but you exist to serve God by caring for everybody. Yes, sir. Right. In the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe Catholics, Baptists, Methodists will join me in heaven. But here mm -hmm. now on this earth, uh, some of their spurious teachings would to me seem as sand. Good point. 
The question is, how do we approach Christians of other flavors that might have some different theological components in, in their fundamental beliefs? So the basis for being Christian, I had this conversation. We had a student in the school who was a Mormon, and I got an email from a dad who said, someone in your building said that Mormons are not Christians, but we're Christian. And I said, well, let me email to you back the marks of a Christian church. Number one, you believe in the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal. Number two, that Jesus is true God and true man. Number three, there is no salvation outside of believing that Jesus did all that was necessary for our salvation. And I said, and number four, that the Bible is the word of God and we don't need to add anything to it. That's a little different than what the Mormons believe. They don't have a triune God. Jesus is a mere human being. You follow the way Jesus lives so you can go up. And they added another book because the Bible wasn't sufficient. Okay, so the fundamental beliefs would be called what we would call orthodox. When a denomination moves they may have some of those same core beliefs, but all of a sudden they're moving outside of the word of God on what certain things teach. Maybe they say, well, abortion's okay, or same-sex marriages are okay, or uh, th then we would call that a heterodox. It's not orthodox, it's heterodox, which means they haven't really hit the mark, but they haven't moved so far that they've eliminated themselves from salvation. Does that make sense? So we might say to the, our Baptist friends, but you can baptize a baby because baptism's about God choosing us. And my Baptist friend would say, no, 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 no. Baptism is an outward sign that I've chosen God. Okay. I wouldn't say to him, well, mm, you're going to burn in hell forever. I said, no, because my friend is still saying to me, I believe in Jesus Christ and a Christ alone is my salvation. I have a cousin who's Roman Catholic. He teaches uh, CCD, their like confirmation thing. And I said to him, so how do I get to heaven? I'm a kid in your class. I want to go to heaven. How do I get there? He said, well, just believe in Jesus. I said, believe what? Well, you know, you're a sinner and Jesus came. He died on the cross. Take your sins away. It's that easy. I said, well, you forgot about good works. Oh, yeah, yeah. You do good works because you love Jesus. Well, you forgot about Mary. Yeah, Mary's pretty good. It's Jesus who saved you. I said, you closet Lutheran. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck's the matter with you? I'm calling the Pope. And sometimes those are what we call uh, fortunate inconsistencies. <laughs> there are sometimes that people belong to a, a denomination and they actually believe something that might be a little different. But my Catholic relatives, they'll be in heaven with me as long as they continue to hold to Jesus. My Lutheran relatives will be there. I've got some Wisconsin Synod relatives who think I won't be there, but that's okay. <laughs> because when I go to heaven, I'm just going to open the door and go, surprise! <laughs> and they're going to go, oh, seriously? Abortion. What, 
I mean, they're Lutheran, sort of. Does that fit in there? Yeah, you know, the, my friends in the ELCA, uh, they have a big spectrum on the practice of their faith. You know, I, I know one who is all about doing gay marriages and, and anybody take communion and the whole thing. Then I have another friend who's an Elka pastor who is, should be in the Missouri Synod. <laughs> um, because he said, hey, you know, I look at scripture rather than culture and that's where our teachings and our confessions come from. Um, yeah, I don't, there's, <laughs> I think it's to the point now where we almost don't look at denominations anymore, we look at congregations. And, you know, there, there are really some that are, are quite challenged in, in their, their teaching, just moving away from the Word of God, which is an extremely difficult thing because it's a, it's a very slippery slope. Yeah. What do the Unitarians believe? You name it. Yeah, the question, what do Unitarian Universalists believe? They believe that whatever you want to worship is, is okay with us. Yeah. So they don't really have any symbols, no cross or David Star or anything. It's just kind of like, hey, you out there. <laughs> yeah. Can I say more about the environment and peace? There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot about, you know, anti-nukes and, and peace on earth and environmental. It is. I would say that's probably it. Yeah, rather, rather than the focal point on salvation through a specific God, it would be, uh, and some of them even worship nature as God, you know, more of a pantheistic idea. Yeah. How do we get on that? That was good. Mike. What about the Mormon church? Mormon church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't believe in the Trinity. Don't believe in the divinity of Jesus. Uh, they believe you work your way to heaven. Uh, the word of God was not sufficient so that, you know, uh, Joseph Smith had to um, get the, those golden plates from the angel Moroni. Is he an Italian? <laughs> Moroni? And, and then come up with this third testament. So, yeah, they're outside, really, the Christian belief. They're not hitting the marks of Christianity. Same with, like, Jehovah Witnesses. Yeah. Did that father respond to you after you sent him that email about what a Christian is? No. Is the child still in school? Oh, graduated some years ago. Wonderful family. Oh, just great kids. Yeah. And the child tried to convince me to, to, be, <laughs> to be a member of the Latter-day Saints. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a wonderful little evangelist. <laughs> yeah. I read somewhere there were 4,300 different religions in the world. That's an awful lot. God must be up there just shaking his head going. Yeah. yeah the comment was that uh, you, read, you read it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are 4,300 different religions in the world. I'd be thinking there might even be more than that. No. There's a... There's a some of these primitive people have the strangest religions. There's one where they dig up their dead relatives every seven years and dress them in new clothes. Yeah, yeah. Don't try that with me. Because I don't think on the resurrection day that Jesus is going to say, oh, well, that tie went out of style like 300 years ago. Yeah.
Yeah, so the question is, how, where does God's love and mercy fit in with these people who really believe what they're doing is sincere and necessary? They're seeing their ancestors as gods. And if you are good to them, then they'll be good to you in response. But you know, the best we do is go to scripture and it's whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. This is the love of God that not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his only son as a propitiation of our sins. So the love of God is found in the cross. That's, there's the love of God. This is really hard for the natural mind to embrace because we always think, <clears throat> if indeed God is all loving, then, then everybody gets to go to heaven. Or the popular one now is there's no hell. Um, the love of God is that he has given us salvation. And the sad part is so many choose to reject it, right? This is the tough part. I think I used this on you guys before, right? I, with my confirmation class, and I'll usually ask, what's your favorite, what's your favorite hot lunch? And I always get something like chicken McNuggets or whatever. <laughs> so then, then I'll say, well, Bill, who's an eighth grader, Bill, uh, got older and uh, 30 years from now, Bill sends all of you a letter and says, you know, you guys have probably eaten at one of Wild Willie's chicken nugget emporiums and you may not know this, but I own those and I have got more money than I need. I'm gonna send, I'm gonna send a deed for one of my Wild Willie's chicken nugget emporiums to each one of you, all you have to do is sign it send it back, you'll get about a million dollars a year, you don't have to do anything, someone will be there to manage it and take care of it, all you have to do is spend the money. Okay. And Lois would say, oh, that guy was just such an honest person, I, I'm gonna sign this, I'm gonna send it, I'm so happy, this is kinda great. Holly would say, oh, he was a scoundrel, he's, he's a liar, this is pro I'm probably signing for his mortgage. I don't believe this, this is awful. And, but the deal is, by believing, one receives the million a year and the other misses it, right? This is how it is with Jesus, right? He's done everything. He gives us the riches. Man, all, you have, all we have to do is live in him. So my friend argues that then it's about what we do. Yeah, yeah. And that shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be. So here's, here's the two things. The crux theologorum, the, the, the challenge of the theologian, then why are some saved? and some aren't, which is really hard to explain because we don't have the mind of God. It, really, when we look at scripture, Jesus said, I chose you, you didn't choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. And then Paul says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So we get all of these Bible passages that say, it's really about what God has done in you and for you. But we still have one choice and that's to reject. I'm bringing in my Raul Helm illustration. Best illustration ever, and Raul would give credit to his professor at Concordia University, River Forest, go Cougars. And, and, and he would say, um, when's your birthday? Oh, your birthday is May 6th, because our birthdays are 10 days apart. Uh, we are twin children of separate mothers. 
And, and so on May 6, if we all get together and we decide we're gonna buy uh, Lois a present, we're gonna buy her a Corvette for her birthday. And uh, I'm gonna keep it at my house because we purchased it already. And, and, it, and, and the title is in her name and we even got, we even got uh, those vanity plates and it's got Doc on there, Doc, C-U-W. And it's in my garage and Diane comes home and goes, oh my goodness, it's my birthday coming up. You bought me, this is, uh, no, that's not for you. This is Lois's. Lois doesn't even know about it. I got it purchased. We've got it signed and sealed. It just needs to be delivered. The sixth, we all get in the Corvette it's a story, just run with it. And we drive over to Lois's and we knock on the door and we all sing happy birthday on key. And then we hand the key and say, this, is, this belongs to Lois. And Lois, here's the title, your name's on it. There's the license plates. There's no other doc CUW around here. This is you and it's already Lois's. But she can say, I don't want that thing. She's rejected. She can, I, I use this word, she can acknowledge with thanksgiving the generosity that we all have and the gift of singing. It's already hers, but she can say, I don't want it, you keep it. Make sense? Yeah. So the, the other way of looking at it too is 100 years ago, Uh, My age? <laughs> a, kid, a kid living in Africa, and I won't say he's black, but a kid living in Africa <laughs> never heard of Jesus before. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Ever. And nobody in his village even knew about it. So yeah. what happens to him? Does the, do you have to have all these credentials to do it, or can the Holy Spirit just say, okay, you guys are grandfathered in here? Ooh, that's a toughie. Let me do two things here. The Holy Spirit can do what he will when he wants to, but he doesn't change the rules. We are picking up, this one astounds me because I'm a Lutheran and God works through word and sacrament, but we're picking up stories coming from Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, of people who have dreams and visions of Jesus and have come to faith. I'm still trying to wrap my 65-year-old mind around that one. But here's the deal. If this were the case, if ignorance as well as belief were the case of salvation, wouldn't it be better for me to take my kids to that African village and never tell them about Jesus? Because if I ever told them about Jesus and they rejected him, they'd go to hell. But if I bring them to a small African village and we never mention Jesus, they automatically get to go to heaven because of ignorance. Wow. Chew on that for a while. But there, that makes us judgmental of these other countries and these other people. And we do not know the mind of God. Well, we, we're not judgmental because if I said to you, um, Got to find someone who won't be that offended. If I said to you, Rich Erickson's a jerk. 
and you went over to Rich Erickson and said, Reverend called you a jerk. Are you being judgmental? Am I being judgmental? No. No. So our, my point here is you're not a jerk. <laughs> I love you, but since you're a dear friend, you can be my illustration. My point here is when I share that salvation's only found in Jesus, that's not my opinion. That's God's word. For me to change God's word would be my opinion. Now I'm judging God. So if I hear salvation comes only through Jesus and I say to someone else, oh, don't, don't listen to that. I judged you, God, as being, I don't know, whatever, uh, unloving or, or whatever. So our job is simply to live out and share the, the, the gospel message, which uh, this conversation really... Uh, Every time I have a conversation like that, it reminds me, I got to do more about sharing the good news of Jesus, right? Rather than worrying about, rather than trying to get those people who don't hear into heaven, why don't I get them to hear so I can be confident that they're in heaven? Yeah. So let's assume that the people who've never heard about Jesus and their village never heard about Jesus all go to hell. Are they paying for the sins of their forefathers who at one point rejected God. And the answer is found in, in the Old Testament. And that God visits the iniquity of the fathers to the sons to the third and fourth generation. What that means isn't so much if your grandpa murdered someone, you're going to be paying for it. What it means is this. If I don't tell my children about Jesus, they're not going to know about Jesus. My not telling them is a sin. They suffer the consequence. They're probably not going to tell their kids. And they're not going to tell their kids. So what, what the Old Testament tells us after giving all these commands and so forth is the responsibility of procreation of both body and soul is the responsibility of a parent. We parents can really mess stuff up, right? spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. But the spiritual one is the one that lasts a long, long time. And it's my responsibility to share with my kids. My prayer, when my girls were born, my prayer was already for whoever it was they were going to marry. Dear God, let them marry a Christian man so they can have Christian children. And when these guys asked me, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? That, I always loved that. You knew it was coming. How many of you enjoyed watching a son-in-law sweat? Did anybody? <laughs> I did. I, made, I prolonged the pain oh. as long as I could. My one son-in-law took me out and I had a chicken sandwich and can I, I'll pay for this. I said, okay, because I want to ask for the hand of your daughter. I said, ah, that's great. Swap my daughter for a chicken sandwich. <laughs> to which he said, tonight we can go for steak. I, I said, I said that, that's all right. But the responsibility for us is to carry that good news on. The challenge, Ted, is, yeah, this is how serious it is. Um, but I also believe that, I, I believe in, in degrees of hell. I really do. I, I really think there's a different place for, for people who go out and, and, and purposefully murder God's people than those who've never heard of them. <clears throat> Paul talks about levels of heaven. I don't know what that is, 
But I do know this, there's different levels of angels, right? You know, so there's archangels and angels and seraphim and cherubim and, 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 and I, I don't necessarily know all that they're doing up there, but I do know this, that the cherubim aren't jealous of the archangel. So when you're in heaven, you're in the right place. You're in the exact right place to be. Because we live in this world where we're always looking for the next step up, right? So if you're, the, if you're the manager, you can't wait to be the supervisor. When you're the supervisor, you want to be the vice president. When you're the vice president, you want to be the president. When you're the president, you wish you were right back down there being the manager, right? Yeah. Being the administrative pastor would be really great if it wasn't for all the administration. Yeah, yeah. So this is the important part of our evangelizing, our own f- homes, our own family, our, our, our friends. This is, this is Matthew who's called away from the tax collector's booth, who's a Jew that's been ostracized because he works for the Romans. And he gathers together a bunch of sinners and tax collectors and he says to them, I'm going to have a party, you've got to meet this guy. Or it's the Samaritan foreign woman at a well who's getting water in the middle of the day at the hottest point which lets you know she doesn't want to be around the community because they're already talking about her because she's had five husbands this is something that should be on like dateline or 48 hours god knows what she did to these men but the one that she's living with isn't even her husband and then jesus talks to her and what does she do she goes into the community that has ostracized her and says you've got to meet this guy who told me everything i've ever done with my life this is who we are called to be this is who we're supposed to be this is what it means to put the interest of others before our own because you are grossly vulnerable when you mention Jesus. You can ruin relationships by bringing up Christ. I would rather take the chance of ruining a relationship than not giving someone the opportunity to know Jesus forever and ever. Amen. And I would, I would add to that the word urgency. I don't think there's a lot of time to be... Right, right. Yep, 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 yep. I, I got I to gotta tell you, I had uh, someone from the community that I know very well said to me, would you visit my dad at Lasada? And I said, I'd be delighted. He just went in this morning and he's got terminal cancer, but he's going to be around about a year. I said, I'll go, I'll go today. And he said, well, no, he's got a year to live. I said, okay, whatever. So I went that evening after dinner. Met this guy, it was wonderful. Hadn't been in a, in a it grew up Missouri Synod Lutheran. Hadn't been in the church for... Uh, like 60 years. As a matter of fact, he grew up in the same church that I was baptized in. And, and he was um, kind of ostracized from the church and never went back. So we talked. He had a faith and, and he, he hadn't had communion in 60 years. Can I give you communion? I would love to have communion. And we had the, we had the nicest one-hour conversation. I went home. His son called me the next day and said, you went and visited my dad anyway. He so enjoyed your visit and that he had communion. I just need to let you know he died in his sleep last night. My goodness. And I just, for days, I thought, what if I wouldn't have gone? What if I wouldn't have gone? He would have gone to heaven because I know he had that faith in Jesus. But there is this urgency. We don't know who's going when. Uh, Dr. Kishnick, a good friend of mine, would always say, um, hell is hot and time is short. Oh. 
I hope Jesus comes in the next five minutes, to be honest with you. Predestination, Lutherans like to use the word election, right? So it's that God has chosen us. And, you know, Luther, I think, I'm going to paraphrase Luther. Luther's idea was you can try to sit and figure this one out and it's not going to happen, but what you should just end up doing is saying, thank you that you've given me a faith and that you've allowed me to share it. Got out of that one, didn't I? <laughs> Whew! Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if this is a good point, Sandy. Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not really the savior, right? Jesus is the savior. That I just get to be a mouthpiece and the Holy Spirit gets to use stuff. So my responsibility isn't to save people, it's just to express who Jesus is, right? And what he means to me. I'll tell you the best way of telling people about your Christian faith is just tell your story. Um, Doug Henry uh, pitched for the Brewers and he and I, when I worked down there, we'd golf every once in a while. And he said, oh, I was just asked by a, a Catholic youth organization to give my story and I don't have one. I said, you don't have one? What kind of story? You know, your Christian faith story. He said, you know, I hear these other guys that play major league ball and, you know, they were, they were drunk or they were, they were the needle in their arm and they accepted Jesus. And I don't have a story like that. I said, well, tell me about your faith journey. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents raised us Christians. We went to church and Sunday school. I married my high school sweetheart who was in our youth group. And we have four kids and we had them baptized. We go to church and we go to Sunday school. Bingo. That's your story, and guess what? That's 95% of our stories. Go tell the kids that they're normal. And going to church and Sunday school is a normal thing to do. That's, that's just it. You know, uh, St. Paul talks in, in Romans 1 that nobody has an excuse to think there is no God. Because if you look at creation, creation tells you there is a God. So we've got natural knowledge and revealed knowledge. Natural knowledge is, is creation in our conscience. Creation should, this is a tough one because today we've got these physics-minded people that look at creation and say, oh, there's no God. But something had to start it. Today, today it's, it's um, they may not use the word God, but the intelligent designer. Try to say intelligent designer and then use the word God and watch, watch a lot of scientific people get nervous. But when you look at the creation, something had to get this going, right? Conscience is another one. How many of you believe uh, that there's moral order in the world or should be, right? Have any of you ever thought, I'd like to murder that guy? but I better not, right? Oh, I should lie about that. Nah, I better not, right? I'd like to punch my brother one, but I better not. So we are created with an understanding of right and wrong. We don't always follow it because we're sinful, but you go to any primitive tribe or you go to any um, advanced tribe and they both have the same basic understanding of right and wrong, right? So there's certain rules around sexuality. There's certain rules around physical abuse and murder. It, 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 you don't lie. These are all things that are, are very similar. It proves to us 
If, the, if you have a law, there has to be a lawgiver. Who's the one who gave the law? So natural knowledge says there is a God, which is why we have so many religions, right? Let's define who that God is. Revealed knowledge tells me about the God. He reveals himself through his word and his appearance. You want to know this God who's out there. If you want to know who he is, it's the Bible. He reveals himself. Also, Jesus came and revealed himself. I've used this before. I tell the confirmation kids, if we walk in and there's that closet that the teachers use to hang up their jackets and hide their bottle of scotch, they're, they're, they don't, I'm kidding. Uh, but if we hear, if we hear uh, some pounding and a muffled voice, what would you say? Someone is in there. Who is it? I don't know. But it's logical to be able to say, that's natural knowledge. Someone is in there. Then a slip of paper comes through the door and you read it. Oh, this is Jimmy Smith. Pastor Rosh locked me in here in 1999 <laughs> and I've been in here all along. Revealed. Let's open the door. And what do we see? Jimmy Smith, who's now unshaven and skinny, and he's come out. This is it. Creation and conscience tell me there is a God. God gave me a slip of paper called the Bible to tell me who he is. And then he opened the door and came into our, our world and our lives. And this is why I like teaching confirmation. Then we got two ways to heaven, ignorance and faith. See, that's the crux of the problem. There were two hands. Contrary to what we usually think, there are thousands, I like that. thousands, millions of Christians in Ethiopia. Oh. And they're sending missionaries to our country. Yes, they are. You know, we're so yeah. Yep. There are more South Korean evangelists in the United States than there are Americans in South Korea. The largest Christian church in the world is in South Korea. It has just shy of a million members. Do they think we need it? They know we need it. Yeah. Yeah. They're worried about America. For a good reason. Yeah. Uh-oh, time's over. We do get along good together, okay? But uh, this is the way we ended last week with that story we had about Paul. How many times did he talk Paul? I would call him a pastor, uh, a great witness, sir, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, yeah. I'm in chains on my hands, I got chains on my feet, I can't move around, and then how would you like this every night? I'm going to kill you tonight. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Paul. Yep. He says, I'm going, they're, they're telling him, I'm going to kill you tonight. He'd go out for a walk around. Everybody would say, tonight's the night. Yeah. 
became uh, that side of the story. Uh, but uh, what what was Paul? I finally read it three, four times this week. But Paul, uh, when the story ended last week, he's sitting in a boat with tombs, everything is chained up. Now here's the power of the Lord. He gets up, he can hardly move, because he could only move inches. He got up and took three steps. You know what happened? All the chains fell off. Lord. Yeah, and you know, sometimes our inhibitions are to witnessing our, our chains, yeah. right? Yep. So sometimes we just got to get over it. Yep. And Paul, even while he's chained, is sharing the good news of Jesus. Yeah, he was all chained up and he was chained up and everything. And threatened, <laughs> and threatened. Nobody's ever threatened to kill me for telling them about Jesus. No. Yeah, nobody. Yep. You had your hand up. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's a different kind of ignorance. Yeah. yeah. It's being without Jesus for whatever reason. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day and God bless.